Hello mech fans and welcome to the Valhalla Club. Grab a fusionaire and join us as we talk Battletech and the latest happenings around the Colorado Battletech community. Alright folks, welcome to the Valhalla Club. I'll be your bartender tonight, Burban. Uh, with me tonight is also Dave Cerberus. Well, hello. Mike the Viking. Howdy, howdy. Matt the Northman. Whoop, whoop. And John, well, Caveman. Woo! <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Let's get into what we've been doing. What's, what's our hobby progress been this month since the last time we all got together? Uh, Mike, where you at? You're always a slacker. Uh, I actually did work this time uh, last night. <laughs> it was the only work I've done all month. Uh, but more work on the Kellhounds. I found it, worked on all the overspray for the red, made the bottom half black again, and I'm getting ready to non oil them all. And it's like 30 some minis all in Kellhounds. <laughs> so, but I'm making progress. It's a lot of minis. Can't beat progress, man. Matt, what about you? Yeah, since last time uh, I got together, I painted my. Jade Falcon Force for the liberation of Black Earth, which, you know, it was Jade Falcon, so it was, I had to do it. It was it was forced upon me by David. It's all his fault. Um, but uh, as he swerves and gives me the look. Um, other than that, I haven't gotten too much done. I've, I'm trying to pick out my force for LVO. I'll just announce that I'm doing the World's League Civil War, and, and it's... Uh, just kind of like popping that in and then just going with it. It's kind of difficult to like, oh, this is kind of cool, but then this is kind of cool, but then this is kind of cool. So anyways, just trying to work through that. But as far as painting goes, uh, just the Jade Falcon and then uh, a couple of games with the, the guys up here in Fort Collins and then the event we'll talk about later. So boom. Cool. John, what's up with you this month? Uh, not a whole heck of a lot. I got a gaming at Hobbytown Westminster on Friday. That was pretty fun. And hobby wise, I I've been painting X Wing stuff, but not Battletech. So Boo. Sorry, guys. Yeah, right. Dave, what you been up to? So the deep dark terrors of of uh, the MUL have really gotten me this last couple of months with deciding <laughs> on what my LVO list will be, which has finally solidified itself. I got a couple of practice games in on it and ordered all of my minis for it. So those should be getting here this week and I will be starting on painting that. But as far as any hobby progress that I got done, uh, really the only thing I got done was I cut apart and rebased some, uh, clicks infantry to, uh, give myself a couple more battle armor and a couple more infantry options for when I play. But yeah, other than that, it's uh, really just getting ready to start airbrushing and painting up the LVO list. Right on. What clicks infantry? Uh, I'm looking at a salamander. I had a couple of uh, pal suits. Uh, I think I had some ground infantry, and then I also had... They're not gnomes. They are the Aquilius battle armor. No, yeah. no, no, no. Aquilius battle the, armor. The Aquilius, the the Sea Fox ones. Ow. The under Undine, Undine. Oh, the Undine ones. The Undine, Undine elementals. Yeah. 
All right. I know I have one or two of the uh, Sylph VTOL elementals from the Clicks Age, if you want those. Well, since <laughs> Wolfnet won't let me use those, I had to buy those. What'd you Just get for say. picking a weirdo list? That's fair. <laughs> hey, you know what? Nothing is scarier and less effective <laughs> than a flying battle armor <laughs> that only shoots at short range. <laughs> Yay! Excited to witness it. Yep. I got into... I did a classic... Hex game with a couple of guys down in Westminster the weekend before we did the Colorado Springs thing. And then I've been painting up my LVO list and revising some things for my 500-pointer that I'm bringing. And then uh, also John and I have been coming up with our own little game that we'll talk about later. So... You want to call it a game? Yeah. What? It's more like a stomping or spanking. Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's. I, I feel it's it's. Well, it might be a stomping for you, but uh, we'll That's see true. how that goes. <laughs> and then I got some uh, writing stuff I've been doing for an upcoming shrapnel. So that's my hobby progress this month. All right. Um. All right. Let's get into the meat and potatoes. Well, actually, this is like the main the the appetizer. Battle for Black Earth Review. So, uh, we put on an event. Dave put on the event. He did all the heavy lifting, really. Um, Down in Colorado Springs uh, last weekend. The, what weekend was that? The 19th, 29th? I don't even know what day it is. 19th. Um, Yeah, the 19th. And uh, it was the Battle for Black Earth. And uh, it was a hexless classic event. And I'll let Dave... Take the lead on this one. So uh, at the event, we had about uh, 10 players that showed up. So we had uh, Braden, Josh, Dusty, Ryan, Jack, Damian, Mike, Kalen, Rick, John, and Matt. And it was a really great day. Uh, it was a little cold, but the store was as accommodating as always. Uh, the scenarios went off really well. First round, the uh, the inner sphere. Uh, took the took the day and pretty much just uh, knocked out their objectives and fled the field. So they had to get a talking to by their uh, their force commander about uh, if you're gonna fight the Jade Falcon, you need to actually fight the Jade Falcon. So uh, going into the second round, things got a little more interesting because the force commanders actually dropped in on the field and. Uh, we had a couple of people that had to drop out because of other engagements and kind of last minute things that came up where they had to leave. So the TOs uh, stepped in and played. Uh, in round two, uh, the players were fighting to destroy the clan command posts. And round two actually came down to a tie on objective points. But the Inner Sphere eked out a battle value destroyed advantage over the Jade Falcons, which led us into round three, which was the fight for the Starport. And I will say that the exploding buildings were a big hit to some, and a uh, less of a uh, great thing for other people. 
the at the end of the day, the Jade Falcons successfully defended the planet and drove the Inner Sphere players off. But the Inner Sphere commander did fall to a very reckless Marauder 2C destroying the Night Star. Sounds like nothing but a win to me. Good job, Jade Falcon. It it was a pretty epic win for the Jade Falcons. Yeah, it came down. It really came down to the wire. It was a lot of fun. the uh, The players had a had a good time. Our uh, top players were uh, Damien on the Inner Sphere side. He took home that uh, really great uh, Night Star, and uh, Braden on the Jade Falcon side took home the uh, the Summoner that was painted. So you know. Great job to them. They did a fantastic job. Total battle value killed for the day. Uh, the way it ended up was uh, Brayden ended up with 77k destroyed. Brayden ended up with 7.7k destroyed. Uh, Josh, who I subbed in for in games two and three, uh, came in at 7.5k. Dusty came in at 6.9k. Damien on the Inner Sphere side, top block, was 5.9k. Mike came in at 5.8k. Ben and Charles came in at 5.5k. Ryan at 4.8k. Kaylin at 4.2k. Jack at 4.1k. Rick at 3.4. John G at 2.2. And Matt coming up at the rear with 1.3k killed I have an explanation i'll leave it till later okay? <laughs> it's almost 1.4 it's almost so some of the funny funny stories from the table side that uh that came out was uh i was in round three i was playing against damien and i was subbing in for josh and josh handed me a list that had a rifleman 2c and a marauder 2c and i just decided to go straight after the clan commander who Ben so graciously dropped on our table. The dice, bro. The dice said it was going to your table. Well, what ended up happening to Damien was uh, Damien unfortunately put his a third of his force in between two explosive buildings, and I took advantage of that. And I uh, destroyed one of his demolishers, crippled another one of his mechs, and... He got some pretty good shots on my Rifleman 2C, who then failed his piloting check, fell over the next round, tried to get up, fell over again, knocked himself out, and then I went straight into close range with the Night Star with the Marauder 2C and unloaded everything. And, uh, yeah, so three PPCs and, uh, couple of pulse lasers all went into the I want to say it was a left torso of the night star and took it out on the table next to me was rick and rick i'm sorry <laughs> but we're gonna tell this story <laughs> oh tsm mech pain the pain your tsm mech suffered a critical failure of its tsm locked up its hip fell over and I think one of you guys know more about what happened exactly to that mech, but yeah, I think I I caught more of it because we had to look up some rules on it, and um, I I believe Rick, it was his first time using TSM, and he rolled Snake Eyes, and it failed, which causes you one know critical, critical per leg, 
one critical leg, he fell down, and then he stood up the next turn and tried to use it again the next turn after that and failed that one as well and gave him two more criticals per leg. And his base, his his heaviest, I think it was a Berserker, a 100-ton, you know, m- melee mech that uh, he just couldn't move at that point. And he was like, this is this is the worst, worst experience I've ever had using a, using a berserker. So, um, now what I want to hear is what is Matt's excuse for only killing 1395 BV? So, so here's the deal. This, I learned a very great lesson in actually reading the player packet because (laughs) I went into this, you know, kind of with the wolf net mindset that, uh, the objective points is what wins you the battle, right? That wins you the the tourney or whatever it may be. So first first battle, I went into it gung-ho, got all the objective points and escaped, and, you know, there wasn't much damage. Uh, second one went in, you know, oh, I, can, I still need those objective points. So went in, got all the objective points, a lot of damage splashed around, but didn't really have anything destroyed or anything, so... I go into the third one i'm looking at the description and this is when i finally finally realize oh i actually have to destroy things or do some some severe damage to get some bv and this is what actually counts for the day so i finally realize this and then i walk up to my board and there's dusty poor dusty i feel bad for him because i during the during the third game i was kind of a surly sailor but uh I walk up there, and of course, he gets the the Jade Falcon Commander. Um, so the BV was pretty heavily favored towards his side. Not only that, but then Bourbon was too too close to my board or something because he infected my dice, and I only <laughs> hit. I mean, I was pouring shots into into every mech, and nothing was hitting. I hit with about three to four percent of my shots. That would be like one or two per round. Uh, and I poured everything, my whole force into a, into a miss links for three turns and destroy it, uh, from, from short range. Uh, so I ended up in, in yeah, just horrible shots. So the turn that I actually was going to go for BV didn't destroy anything. And in, in return was, uh, like in the round that we ended, destroyed two mechs and three of my pilots fell down. Two times straight and blacked out. So that's how well, it ended. In spite yeah. of your efforts, the in spite of my best efforts, I still got some BV. But yes, I ended up some. there. Ended up there in last place, and I fully deserved it. So that was the story. I, I really enjoyed the event until until the third game, and I was when when my dice kept uh, rolling onto onto ones and twos. I was not so pleased. So. It was, it was still fun uh, overall, but I feel bad. You know, Dusty, if you listen to this, I apologize. Uh, I generally don't get so uh, down in the dumps, but man, I needed to. The dice did not perform well. So it was a good event anyways. Well, to put it into context, the uh, game one was 4,000 BV, game two was 5,400 BV, and game three was 6,000 BV, and each of the commanders showed up on game two and three and added a 2600 bv advantage to whoever got them so 
I felt it. The uh, that that Thor slash Summoner did not miss, and it just kept peeling my armor off, and the other mechs just kept plinking in. So, nothing I tried in game three worked. I I did a charge, even hit with it, but then it just like hit leg armor. I mean, I did physical. To, I need into the rear of a mislinks shots hitting, none hitting on the rear torso armor. I mean, it was it was crazy, but yeah, it was okay in the end. <laughs> Well, and then once, uh, once the Intersphere Commander died on Damien's table, it had a direct effect to every other Intersphere player in the event. Uh, and I, I felt that. <laughs> so once, once the Intersphere Commander died, all Intersphere players got a minus one to their initiative for the rest of the game. At least only died on round three. And that sucked. That's true, After that, it I still did not sucked, have a, man. <laughs> uh, the initiative for the rest of the game, so it hurt. Blame Damien. Damien. But it made sense from the narrative standpoint that the event was supposed to be, and I appreciated it, even though or you can blame I hated me for it killing it. It's all Dave's. It's also, all it's all it Dave's fault. fault. <laughs> it's all Dave's fault. Mike, you were a player all day. What uh, what was your experience? Uh, so I had a lot of fun. Uh, game one, I played against Braden. Um, it was my four Kelhounds versus his two Jade Falcons. Um, uh, he had a pretty nice ice ferret that uh, went unconscious and fell down like, on on his own, if I remember I know what happens when you uh, uh, knock yourself out. I think out. I wrote it up. Yeah, and then so he was immobile next turn, and I, I had to take advantage of it, and then he exploded. Um, or no, he repaid paid it back by blowing up my 2-3 uh, commando. Yes, I put a 2-3 pilot in a commando. Dave, <laughs> that's because you so are. crazy. That is like the <laughs> most explosive <laughs> you can have. But, uh, but he exploded Surprise. and he died. Um, game two was against uh, Dusty, uh, and that was a good game. It was a little unfun for Dusty at first, and I apologize for that because uh, I was – messing some things up, which we fixed before anything confused. was resolved. But I was a little confused. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Um, yeah, I, so we fixed that, and then things turned around, and he started having a lot more fun. Uh, and I lost another pilot in that game. I, I had one pilot death per game. <laughs> and game three was against Charles, um, who also used the wonderful explodey buildings uh to his benefit <laughs> the uh my my wonderful bushwhacker was trying to flank around to the well my right and it was about a half inch too close to a building or fella and it exploded because charles shot it and well that pilot died too he so. took two <laughs> two head hits right uh yeah, yeah he, he took or, two head hits yeah, and one of them was a cockpit hit on the uh Critical roach. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then ammo exploded, which was two more hits. So that put him at six. He's dead. <laughs> um, and then I mean at game three, I was doomed from the get-go because my AC twenty on the Avatar missed the piranha. And then the piranha took out the well, crippled my what was it um what did i have 
It was a light. It was fast. It was jumpy. Spider. There we go. Um, he crippled the spider who couldn't get up. He was on the ground the whole time uh, for about five turns. So his new name is Sponge because he was shot a lot and never died until about four turns later. Um, but yeah, ever since that spider went down and I missed the shot on the piranha, I just I just couldn't recover from that because it was just harassing my backfield the whole time. And then the final nail in the coffin was the explodey building versus a uh, very, very nice, pristine bushwhacker. <laughs> so, Those buildings wrecked but no, a lot It was a lot of, of fun. Yeah. 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 I, I leveled two of the buildings hoping that it would get his, uh, his Ebon Jag, um, but both of them were non-explodey. But he knew which ones were exploding beforehand, uh, and I got a, just a little too close. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. In my game too, I played uh, I played Rick, and he and I had just a shenanigans filled game. I brought a two light mechs and the Marauder two, and he brought his Victor. I want to say he had another melee mech. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was a hatchet man and something. But anyway, he could not kill my light mix. They were just, they were in just this scrum right behind a built, a two story building and just punching and kicking and everything. And nobody was dying. And then I got a very lucky shot on his, uh, his poor Victor, which was completely fresh with my Marauder 2C ERPPC to the head. And there was no more Victor. So that was kind of the end of our our uh, second game. And I don't think that led into Rick being very happy. I, I think I kept walking by that table and uh, I, I kept making the comment, like, what are you guys doing? A little rugby scrum over there? What's, what's we were happening just, here? We were having a slap fight behind a building, <laughs> and it was just not going well for anybody because nobody was hitting anybody. Well, I got to jump in on the first game, and me and Matt played. Um, I was, John, you'll appreciate this. I was not foretelling anything, but <laughs> I was playing Jade Falcons against Prophecy. Matt. No, no, no. Not prophecy. Um, you heard it here, folks. You know what, though? I I can kind of lean a little that way. I can kind of lean a little that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, the piranha yeah. is no slouch. You Matt did not. into your leather chaps, put on your feathers yeah, on your head, exactly. and you're like, I'm, What I think Ben is trying to say is that he is pan-factional. I am. I am. <laughs> I'm definitely pan factional. Yeah, that whole um, game, all I had was your units in my rear the entire time. So whatever that says about Ben, I don't know. But it was, <laughs> it was every round, every round, two shots to to my rear. So it was, it was not fun. Not fun. Yeah, and, and the piranha and the dasher, and I think I had a sentinel. Yeah. C, yeah. And then two elemental points and uh pretty much every turn the 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 piranha was unloading 12 machine guns into the back of one of matt's mechs ben, weren't you playing the list i made 
I was. I was. Yeah. I I just picked some shit out that you'd come up with, and I was like, all right, let's see how this works. So uh, yeah, I made a list for Intersphere and uh, Clan just on the off chance that we had an odd number of players, and we started the day out with an odd number of players. So, yeah, Ben and Charles got to take my Jade Falcon list, which I believe was... Oh, God, it was a Uller... It was an Uller, it was a Piranha, it was a Dasher, Sentinel, a Loki, a Sentinel, and there was a oh whoa maybe a there was an Evan Jag in there too yeah or something like that something but you had limits on what battle value you could take per scenario or per per iteration or round or whatever you know so yeah, I took Mike's advice when I built that list and I built it with four thousand and then fifty four thousand fifty four. 400 and then fit in whatever i could at the end yeah yeah so i was going with the fourth out the very first iteration which was like four grand and all i could fit in there was a dasher a sentinel and a and a piranha and two elementals it was enough there was there was no more needed but to matt's credit he focused directly on the objectives and pretty much by like turn three he had won the game and i was like well i'm just going to do as much damage as i can right now just to make your life difficult for the rest of the day. As my Zeus like limps slowly back to my, my side of the board. Yeah. Without his ear, large laser and his, uh, his uh, something else had an AC or something like that. It didn't make it. It helps when you shoot him in the back. That's how it works. That's how it goes. A big thank you goes out to inconceivable games for hosting us. Uh, they also worked with me to get about two thirds of the prize support. And also to a big shout out goes to Derek over at Aries Games and Miniatures because he sent us a couple of force packs and dice that we were able to hand out as prizes. So, you know, big thank you to both of them. You made the event what it was and it was a lot of fun and everybody had a great time. So for you guys that haven't played a lot of classic, especially on the Heckler side, what were your thoughts Mike, Matt, whoever wants to jump in. I think it just reminded me that, it, in my mind, classic is more about luck. <laughs> it's all those headshots and and hits or not hits. Man, it it sure seems more swingy. Like, uh, as far as you know, things because even if you do hit, then the ability to hit somewhere where it actually matters, it's still you can get a lot of shots where, you know, it hits leg armor and the leg armor never gets removed enough to actually do anything versus, you know, hitting a, basically with alpha strike, you're just, you're, you're hitting a center torso every time. Um, so yeah, it just reminded me of that. Like it was, it was fun because I got more into the nitty gritty. I I still like classic quite a bit because of that. Cause you get into the nitty gritty, but man, when it swung against me, I was, I was displeased, (laughs) but yeah, I liked it. As an Alpha Strike player, I like Hexless Classic a lot because it allows us to kind of get that good crossover between Alpha Strike and Classic. You get the cool 3D 3D board. You're using all the rules of Classic. The only thing that I would say is a downside to Hexless Classic is you need to have a bigger board. The boards we played on were a little too small. There, everyone was pretty much in long range from the get-go, so there wasn't a lot of maneuvering that we could do. So there wasn't a lot of 
tactics. It was pretty much go at the other guy, kill them. So if if I could do it again, uh, I would want to make the boards bigger so that it was a little bit more of a challenge. Yeah, the only tactics I could really do were basically terrain-based. You know, if there was a, a level 2 heal, then I could use that. But otherwise, it wasn't like I could use my different ranges, you know, and really bracket uh, enemy units with those ranges. It was more like, if I need to get even closer, I can hide behind this hill, but that's about it. Um, yeah. Mike, what about you? Um, I know you guys have heard me say it a, a few times, um, so some of you might be annoyed of it at this point, but... Uh, uh, no, I've I've always liked both classic and Alpha Strike for their strengths, each one individually. Uh, I'm I'm also a big lore nerd, so I I love classic for that because as I'm playing it, it feels like I'm writing my own book, um, which is another thing that I know I've said before. But <laughs> um, and I love the speed of Alpha Strike, so <clears throat> Hexless Classic definitely felt like a good marriage of the two systems. Um, there are still some quirks that could probably be updated. Um, I and me and you talked about this briefly, but because uh, it hasn't been touched at least for on the what we have publicly uh, since what I say two thousand six. Um, so, but no, it was it was a lot of fun. I definitely enjoyed it. It had it was faster than standard classic because you didn't have that counting hex analysis paralysis. Um, so you got to speed up the game a little bit that way, but you still had a full record sheet, uh, which was a lot of fun. Hence uh, my new sponge <laughs> spider. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to get an update from listening to Ray's comments on the Wolfnet podcast that the, uh, the miniature rules are not on the table right now for what they're planning to update. So hopefully sometime in the future, maybe they'll take that up as a project. Was that from the episode or on the server? From the episode. Uh, that was, was Cubby. Not oh, it was Cubby. Yeah, it was Cubby. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> yeah. Which is not a horrible thing. I mean, you know, I know from conversations that have happened um, that there are things being looked at as far as the core Total Warfare rules, but uh, it's something that's on the table right now, but uh, not necessarily anything decided anywhere close to being um, determined yet. So it's a lot of discussions. Um, anything else from the Battle for Black Earth? Had fun. I sucked. It was cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, going back to the the need for a bigger map. Uh, so I used Megamech to print all my sheets out with already having the inch conversions. Uh, and just for example, uh, an LRM-20 has a max long range of 42 inches, and a Gauss rifle has a max long range yeah, of 44 inches. So even when we inches, started the, so. the day, everybody was already <laughs> in long range. So, Well, Mike, Mike did learn the difference medium. between indirect fire, Arrow 4, and Artemis 4. <laughs> <laughs> that was the confusion. Because <laughs> I just saw the A in 4 and was like, ah, Arrow four. It, it, it was definitely I remember Artemis. Dusty was <laughs> so, like, "Wait, what? This game just got horrible. He, I don't want to he, play he, this anymore." He was super demoralized. Yeah, because I thought I was going to use uh, semi-guided ammo uh, with tag, and then, and then I came to realize, oh well, there, for one, there's a BV increase there, which I didn't know about. Uh, but two, my unit had Artemis, so 
if it has Artemis, you can only use Artemis ammo. And that's what caused the confusion because when we were reading through the uh, the rules for tag and semi-guided munitions, he was like, it ignores how much all of the modifiers. He's like, well, this game just got super unfun. And I apologize for that. You apologize. I messed up. And then you said, oh, we wait, it's it. Arrow 4. <laughs> and then we were both like, what? Or you, you and him. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, no, it's Artemis. So I'm sorry. <laughs> But we, we fixed it before any damage was resolved or before a shot was even fired. Uh, but there, there was about five bad, or bro. ten minutes of Dusty going, I don't I don't want to play this game anymore. This this is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and uh, Mike ruining the hearts and minds of the other players in Colorado. Mike fixed it all up and, and got it all sorted out. So it uh, it worked out. Actually I think it worked out in Dusty's favor towards the end, didn't it? Oh yeah. He uh he obliterated a, a fair amount. <laughs> well, I'd say so from the positioning that Dusty ended up in and the positioning that Mike ended up in at the end of the day. Yes. Hey, yo. All right. Any save rounds for Battle of Black Earth? A quick question. You know, I, I'm not a classic player. I'm only Alpha Strike. And um, there's sometimes where, I mean, I've looked at classic. And I'm like, wow. Like, like Matt said, it's like, wow, that is a very random game. Like there are a lot of die rolls. Um, but then by comparison, Alpha Strike can be so simple. I'm, I'm kind of curious to, to you guys, if you could bring one part of Classic into Alpha Strike, like what would you bring, if anything? I would bring in what uh, the, the DFA Destiny uh, combat system brings in is uh, weapon location hits, where they, even though they don't have the full bubble sheet, they still have their armor split out into, into different places. So it's it's kind of consolidated but it's kind of fun to blow off an arm rather than just hit center torso every time i think for me i would bring in the concept of uh running and shooting so you could walk and shoot run and shoot with a modifier but if you were to sprint then you wouldn't be able to shoot i would like to at least for some units uh those intersphere heavies and assaults uh like to move maybe a little bit further <laughs> but while taking that uh that penalty for for running mike i think some of that is covered in tac ops for sprinting units and i can't remember the i know there's sprinting for sprinting rules for classic but uh i can't remember if there's a modifier for shooting yeah i do remember somebody had mentioned that it's in like the advanced rules or it's it's in tac ops but porting something from classic to alpha strike because in Alpha Strike, it's either you stand still, you walk, or you ran. And if you ran, you can't do shit. Uh, so I would have like to, if if it were me, probably. So like you've got your walk, and that's your standard. And then running would give you say a plus one, whereas jumping gives you a plus two to shoot. So if you were to run, that it'll give you a plus one for shooting, and it's not as far, so maybe like a a one point two five uh your your standard move because a sprint is uh one point one point five times your standard move but that's that's probably what i would pull over from from classic is the ability to move a little further at a cost to shoot out um but still be able to shoot you know (laughs) dave what about you um i think kind of in line with what mike says i think being able to uh sprint and shoot would be good and bad for moving it over from 
classic to Alpha Strike, but there's so there's differences that I really like between the two systems, and I appreciate the fact that they are different. Um, so, I mean, I kind of like them the way they are. I don't think that there yeah. is a specific thing that I would want to be brought over from classic to Alpha Strike or vice versa. I do agree with Matt. I think it would be fun to have a little bit more thematic situations in Alpha Strike where you lose an arm, you lose a leg instead of a motive hit or a critical hit. But I also understand the need for simplicity in Alpha Strike when you're playing with large numbers of units. It's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, me personally, as a as a longtime classic guy, um, I, I'd like to see more of the ammo explosion effects ported over to Alpha Strike, you know, because as some of us have seen, Al- ammo explosions in Classic are really bad. Devastating. And in Alpha Strike, it's kind of like you, you get an ammo explosion on a, on a uh, crit chart and your mech's dead, you know, as opposed to in Classic, you've still got something left sometimes, you know, depending on what you're playing. Well, you do if you have case, or if you don't have case, you're dead. But if you have case, I mean, you only take an extra point of damage. So, I mean, I mean, it's right, right, not too bad. So, maybe if in maybe if in uh, in Alpha Strike, if you took a case hit or an ammo explosion, and you have case, maybe you also take a weapon hit critical at the same time to make the ammo explosion more damaging. Right, yeah, because you're losing the whole ammo. You're losing the whole section. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, cool. Yeah, I appreciate you guys' insight. I mean, y'all have been playing longer than myself, and uh, it's always interesting to hear what other people want. All right. Cool. Good question. Um, anything else from Battle of Black Earth? Nothing heard. All right. Um, let's get into the main course. Uh, developing and running scenarios. So we talked a lot about last episode about developing campaigns. Um, I think this episode we were going to focus on trying to uh, develop scenario concepts, uh, the standard scenario concepts that are in your campaign ops, that are in Total Warfare, that are in you know TAC ops or the Alpha Strike Commander's Edition, um, and also some of the non-standard stuff that you can come up with. So personally, I like uh, homebrewed scenarios. I think it allows for a level of creativity that the kind of stock scenarios don't give you when they establish your left and right limits. Or if you're playing on a specific timeline or a specific unit within the timeline, uh, you're limited on where you can and can't go with the story. With the homebrewed campaigns, uh, you get that flexibility that really allows you to explore creatively what you want to do as a GM or as a group of players. You're not, you're not stuck in the canon timeline of, you know, what, what you are and are not allowed to do. So for me, that is kind of the, the, the cream of the crop for uh, scenarios and campaign play. Now, granted, you know, it means you have to be a, you have to be willing to put in that effort and time to create that scenario for your players. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it, it's nice to be able to kind of write your own story. So what is your favorite type of scenario, Dave? 
probably I won't say objective based, but it's got to have some risk and reward. So uh, whether you are escorting a unit or you have to take a a hard hardened facility or you have to achieve some objective that's going to move the story along, not just a stand up fight, because a stand up fight just is kind of vanilla to me. It's kind of boring. And you need to have you need to have skin in the game. You need to have a reason of why you're fighting and why you're there. Nice. Last episode, we talked quite a bit about campaign development, uh, like Ben Ben stated, and we just wanted to kind of go into the bits and pieces of campaigns, which are the scenarios that you actually play. And being a GM, I've like created different scenarios, and basically they're all kind of riffs on on pre-built ones and. You know, some of the places where you can find these pre-built scenarios are like what Ben stated in Total Warfare and in um, in the Alpha Strike Commander's Edition. Those are kind of both sides, the classic side and the Alpha Strike side that we usually talk about. Um, but I, I like to t- take those and kind of morph them into a little bit more when I do kind of the, the homebrew type of deal. Uh, I really like multiple objectives for a scenario rather than just one. So... Uh, my favorites are, are anything like if we look at the the AS350 from Wolfnet. My favorites are kind of like domination or capture the flag, where you have multiple places where you kind of have to use your tactics. You know, am I going to focus here versus there, and and uh, having to use your units in multiple places. Um, I, I really like generating scenarios that have hidden units uh, and and kind of surprises for players if I'm a GM. Uh, if we're playing, you know, if we're both playing, uh, then I wouldn't use any hidden units or anything like that. But that is a fun thing if you're kind of setting things up for other players, is especially like hidden infantry in an urban setting. That's kind of really fun because uh, that's very thematic. Uh, so those are just some things that I think about and, and really, really like. I, I think of overall, my favorite scenario of, of everything that I've played is the Wolfnet AS350 Domination because it's got five objective points that you can squabble over. And so you've got to think of where you're going to place or move your uh, units towards uh, because you got to capture four of them to win win the game. So that's kind of my fave. What about the rest of you guys? What, what scenarios do you like and what do you kind of consider if, when you look at a scenario? Jump in. Easily my favorite of the Wolfnet scenarios is the Overrun. Um, where you have to control your home edge while dominating the remaining sections of the board. That's just very much so um, it feels right. Like you're building momentum. You're pushing your opponent out of zones. Uh, in uh, Sorry. <laughs> you're pushing your opponent out of zones uh, procedurally. And there's, there's a certain momentum to the match. Uh, you usually... It builds, and then you have you know the denouement, the the kind of like climax at the end of like, oh man, I was able to down his grasshopper. Now I control the zone. Time's up. I've got it. It feels very good. There's a lot of tension in that game mode. Um, yeah, I think that, that answers it, right? Um, when it comes to scenario creation and stuff like that, and I think really would you start looking at the big picture of campaign? Um, the campaign development and like how you want to structure it. Cause I've, I've had a little bit of experience with this of 
how to link these scenarios to build the entire campaign up. You know, you really have to look at what is a scenario going to lead to and what does it come from, you know? So I think you have to really kind of look at the scenario if it's part of a larger campaign. If it's not part of a larger campaign, you can look at the Wolfnet stuff. You can look at, you know, the Total Warfare, the the campaign ops, um, Alpha Strike Commander Edition that has kind of standalone scenarios that you can just play to have some type of objective. Um, so what, I think, what's your favorite standalone, Ben? You know, there was a there was a game I played, and and John's gonna bust my balls for this, but you know, it was a game I played back in like oh three oh four in the Marshall Olympiad, and it had you where you had to set up eight bombs on your side, and the enemy could set up eight bombs on their side, and you had to go find their bombs while fighting off them at the same time. Um, it was a very interesting scenario because you had to kind of play it out as far as you had to have a blocking force or a force that could contain the enemy while you had other units on your side trying to find these freaking bombs everywhere. Um, It it added a dimension to the gameplay that you don't normally get in your everyday total warfare campaign ops type scenarios, you know? Yeah. I, that sounds kind of like hold the line net, where you had three points where you could defend while attacking your opponents three. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, it's, it's pretty close to that. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to, to plug Wolfnet as much as I normally do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Man, uh, we need to rally behind one tournament system. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I feel like, I feel like there's going to be a tournament system that's going to show up here sooner or later. So, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, this was an interesting type because it's, it's classic base as opposed to alpha strike based. Mm-hmm. So you still had to kind of incorporate some of the battle armor. You, you still had to incorporate some of the vehicles, um, that you normally get on the alpha strike side that classic doesn't really kind of enforce, I guess is, I don't know if that's a word I'm looking for, but you know, it's, that's what I'm saying right now. So there's different scenarios you can do. Absolutely. Um, and it's really what you come up with either as a standalone or as a linking type scenario to build your campaign on. Yeah, Mike, what about yourself? Uh, standalone campaign, either or what uh, what suits your fancy? Well, so far, my uh, experience in this realm of gaming, aside from the, the standard stand up fight, is still relatively limited. Um Outside of the Wolfnet side, um, I've played a few, a handful of the uh, the DFA wargaming scenarios with Alex. Um, we did one a few weeks back, um, but uh, I just really like so I like scenarios that are more objective based instead of just the stand up fight, which is technically a scenario, but. Uh, scenarios that are objective based and of late I've definitely enjoyed especially with this Black Earth event it really threw on a whole new tactical level of of, uh, like unit management with like you can't let everyone die Uh, so now you've got to think about 
so that that narrative uh, focus or with just moving, not necessarily uh, standalone scenarios, but actually built into the campaign. I'm starting to like that a, a lot more because it adds a lot more strategy to it. And my whole life, all I've ever loved is strategy games. Uh, so it's it's a lot of fun. And I'm slowly getting more into it. And uh, But yeah, that's I like scenarios built into a campaign that are objective-based. Yeah. That's me. And you yeah. you put down a, a um, note that I thought was interesting, you know, as far as optional rules and where to kind of limit those. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? What, no, that, that was me. me. That, that was me. Was me. That was me. That was me. Like <laughs> <laughs> your thoughts. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when it comes to scenario stuff, you know, I always like adding at least one optional rule that a lot of people really don't play with you know like even if it's a a terrain type rule like hey we're gonna this for this scenario everything is under tundra you know so you have to look at the tundra rules and figure out okay that adds some mobility issues for classic that adds some mobility issues for for alpha strike that also adds some bonuses to firing and overheating you know or is it a case of um, optional rules for like zero G? You know, what does that do for a mech in its movement phase? What does it do for its firing phase? What does it do for you know um, the different variations that that happen there? So I always like adding at least one optional rule for a scenario to to kind of get players to start thinking about the wider scope that's out there, you know? Yeah. I, I like incorporating optional rules tool. Mike. Yeah, I see. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so the game I played the other day with, with Alex, we included, um, <clears throat> we included the formation bonuses, which is slowly, I think somewhat catching on here in, in Colorado. Um, he's not a big fan of it. Uh, but I mean, to, to each their own, you know, um, but uh, when we were planning it up, so we included uh, some battlefield effects. So rounds one through three, uh, we said that there was a geomagnetic storm due to a solar flare or whatever from the near star. And so as a result of that, uh, we had we used uh, uh, sensor blips. And so we also threw it threw in a blizzard. Right. So because in the rules for Alpha Strike, at least visual line of sight is uh what was it 140 inches on a clear day so even if there's that geomagnetic storm and your sensors are out uh your visual line of sight is still stupid far so we also added in a blizzard which has a visual line of sight out to 10 inches so now we really had to use the um the active probes um to increase sensor range and, and anyone that didn't have an active probe just was regular sensor range, which was 12 inches. Um, and that was a lot of fun, uh, not being able to know immediately what your enemy has on the other side of the board. All you see is this, that, that sensor blip and all you can really see and discern from it is the TMM die. Uh, so uh, if it's a four, obviously it's like, okay, that's a super fast guy. Um, so an alpha strike, the more you play, the more, you know, the units, 
um, when you see that TMM die, you get a general understanding of what its general movement profile is. Whereas if you were using sensor blips in say classic, you would have no idea because your TMM is based on how far you move. Um, so you lose a little bit of that into Alpha Strike, but you lose a little bit of everything from Classic into Alpha Strike. Uh, but it was still a lot of fun. Uh, we were going to use some Battlefield support points and throw in some some offboard arties, some minefields, this, that, and the other, but we didn't actually get around to doing it. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun just throwing in um, more unused and not commonly used optional rules so big yeah i really like how you mentioned rules. the blip counters mike i think one of the funner or the more fun that's not a word funner um the more fun oh, with it I, I don't know what it is but the the scenario that i really liked um we used uh blip counters with concealing unit uh data in alpha strike which i think is really cool because usually in our pickup games you know you can just look over you'll ask like oh how much more armor does this guy have and you that really changes like what you're going to do for the the round but when we we've played uh we played most of the scenarios in this uh bloodwind campaign up here in fort collins recently and most of those with blips uh, at least at the beginning uh of the the scenario and then with concealed uh, concealing unit data where you don't share data. Uh, you just have to go on what you think they are. You, Even though they may find out what they are, they still may not know the variant, so they may not know how much armor or what weapons or whatever it may be. But uh, it's it's really fun because then it, it's much more realistic. Like, you know, realistically, you're not going to have like, oh, it has, you know, five, yeah. five more armor left, so I know to fire at it with just this many shots. And so I, I, I really like the blips in the concealing unit data thing. Yeah, we had talked about using the conceal, concealed unit, uh, concealed record sheets, um, which forces you as a tactical commander, right, to remember how much yeah. damage I've actually inflicted. Um, and we had talked about it, somewhat agreed to it, but in our old practiced Alpha Strike ways of, constantly asking how, how much does that guy have left? Okay, thanks. Now I'm going to obliterate it. Um, so we, we said we were going to do it, but then we ended up not doing it because we're just so much stuck in our ways of, Hey, you know, how much has he got left? How about him? How about him? Okay. I'm just going to focus here. Um, which is all well and cool. And, you know, especially from a tournament aspect where you want games to be as fast as possible. But if you are going in a campaign and scenario based, um, highly recommend concealed record sheets, because if you are going for that, that narrative focus, it does force you to pay the fuck attention uh, to what you are shooting and how much damage you've actually done. Uh, so it adds a lot yeah, and more. Also, like you were yeah. mentioned, like, the, uh, it actually gives a reason to have all these recon, you know, like recon and, and the other, uh, like Beagle Active Probe and all those other things. So I, I really think it adds, it, it allows you to have more units because you'll want to use these other ones with, with sensors and stuff. It's yeah, really cool. and it, they even say in those optional rules that the, the Active Probes, like if you're within sensor range, you are allowed to ask your opponent if you're using concealed record sheets and concealed unit data, um, hey, like what what's left on on that unit but you'd have to be within the sensor range um and they don't have to tell you if you are outside of that sensor range and then if you're inside that sensor range yeah you could ask hey like how far does this movement unit move and they could 
you know, tell you that, but they don't have to tell you everything that's on the sheet. You so, know, and that's, that's one of the things too, like, you know, a lot of folks, you know, a lot of folks play either in store with their standard, Hey, this is the day scenario kind of thing, or they play on mega mech. And one of the, probably one of my most enjoyable campaigns or scenarios is using double blind, you know, um, Mega Mech has a problem with doing double blind because the, I guess, especially against the bot where the double blind is basically where you don't know where your other player is moving at and you've got to just kind of really fine tune your tactics ability and be able to remember, like Mike was saying, about how much damage you've done. The active probes come into play. Um, the the sensor blips that that people talk about, um, like Matt used in his last Bloodwind campaign, um, a lot of that comes into play in a double blind scenario. Uh, the the issue with double blind is it's very GM intensive because the GM basically has to run one player on one set of maps and run another player on another set of maps. And once they encounter each other, then you can kind of really start to play the game. Um, the I like double blind really uh, a lot just because it gives you that tactical, like what is the other guy going to do without being able to see what he's actually doing kind of thing. Um, the sensor blip piece of it, is kind of a kind of a, a double blind kind of light because you don't know what you're getting into. You know there's things out there, but you're not quite sure what they are. So I how many of you have really ever dealt with double blind before? I haven't done it with strict double blind, but the blips that we used were uh you would basically know the class of the mech. So we had uh different blips for light, medium, heavy, and assaults. And so that's that is the the limit of the information that you would get. So we wouldn't even put out like TMM dice or anything like that. Um, that would all be calculated for. Uh, oh, we would put out TMM dice, but that was that was it. Just just to help calculations uh, in combat, but no other information was given. So we used blips, and that was uh, with each class, and that was it. I haven't used double blind, but um, you know, thinking back on it, like if if you we, we were using uh, sensor blips again. If they're not, so we were also using um, uh, weight class specific blips in the future. I would probably say don't do that because that, again, adds in more of the blindness of it. If you're not even within sensor range, how would your sensors know if it's a medium class? You know what I mean? And then um, on from there, if you're not in range or sensor range or visual range, then put something down annotating that it has moved but don't actually show the tmm because if a tmm one comes out i know especially i can narrow it down based on general understanding like so if it's a tmm one and my enemy is playing clan i'm gonna know that is a big dude you know what i mean and avoid that or or line up some some good avenues um on yeah that. I'm, but, um, 
interesting that that, that Bell took the the choice to give blips a, an identifier based on their TMM instead of their size. That that's surprising to me. Um, uh, but my experience with double blinds, I, I don't have any in BattleTech, but I do have some with naval <laughs> wargaming. So like Imperial Japanese Navy versus USN in like 1940, you know, whatever. Um, and what's really fun there is that, you know, because you don't, I mean, it's the ocean. There's no terrain features really, except for weather, you know, like squalls. You need to have a giant blue mat and it's up to the GM, you know, once you have spotted someone, the the two tables may not even be touching, you know, they might be so far away, you know, it's like thousands and thousands of meters. Um, but, but no battle deck experience with double blind. No, just, just the naval war game. All right. Um, so we talked a little bit about introducing new rules, you know, and I think a lot of us talked about our kind of favorite way to do that, but how many is too many? I think one, one, yeah, go ahead, John. Anytime you add complexity to a game, you need to be asking yourself the question, okay, how much more fun is this going to add to the game? And if you're reached a point where the complexity is greater than the fun, then you need to pair it back. Um, I, I, you know, and obviously that's going to be a lot harder to determine in person. You know, the more you do it, the more events you run, you'll have a, a greater feel for it. And it's really up to you as the GM to kind of gauge your player interest because some players are just going to be alpha strike players that just kind of want to get it done. You know, I only have so much time away. Um, and then you have some players that come from the classic side and it's like, you know, they're, they're okay to sit down for six hours. <laughs> so you need to gauge your audience and you need to um, have kind of a, a analysis of, okay, I'm adding this amount of complexity, but how much fun am I adding? And you need to kind of, if not achieve a perfect balance, at least be within a margin of error, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, so. My game with Alex, it, it was a one-off. It wasn't a campaign or anything. It, it was a one-off scenario. But I think I was a little too excited about my fancy <laughs> new map with its good lines. Um, Thank you, Matt's so, my Mars. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Matt's my Mars. Um, Oops, I went Roman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's no, all good. Thank God. <laughs> but um, when we were when we were coordinating it beforehand, planning out like, Hey, what all do we want to use? Um, I think I went a little too heavy into it because we were like, I was like, yeah, let's, let's use um, BSPs. Let's use um, like all of these optional rules. And then we ended up only using, we, we ended up forgetting entirely about the BSPs. Um, and we ended up only adding in that the blip and the, the weather effects and sensor range. So I guess technically three, um, probably two to three, three if, if they're closely connected. So like the, the sensors, sensors and the battlefield weather effects, those kind of went hand in hand. So that was easy to do, but I would probably say no more than two, three, if they're connected together. Um, because I tried to go way too heavy into it and yeah, we, we ended up just not the other ones, you know? <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, if you forget a rule, that's a pretty good indicator that maybe, you know, you need to take a hard look at it. Is it worth including? 
yeah it was too much yeah. at once but yeah uh oh and since it, since we said there was a blizzard we ha- for the blizzard lasted for the first three turns and because of the uh in, in the book a blizzard adds a uh plus one or not a blizzard heavy light and heavy snow i think it was adds a plus one to shoot so for those th- first three turns everyone had a, an additional plus one for the weather and then it went away uh, on turn four but yeah it was a lot of fun yeah i think it it really depends on who you're playing against who your who your players are you know depending on how much do you want to overwhelm them with an extra rule or two extra rules or three extra rules you know it really depends on who you're playing and and what their comfortability is you know um i know there's some some things that i've written in the past we'll say that um where i think at the most i've only added in like two special rules like hey you can play with these if you want kind of thing where it's like hey let's get into hold down and cliffs or let's get into um gravel piles force withdrawal kind of stuff you know it it really is a way to when you build your scenario up to teach your opponent or your newer player or what have you about hey there's a lot of other optional rules that we could play with that would make this more granule that that would make this more of an immersive experience kind of thing is that if that makes sense yeah i think uh another thing that i would probably suggest even for some of my future games is we always all play with indestructible buildings but what if you were to actually assign the appropriate cf factor based off the rule book for each building and it's like, okay, you're on a level three building because you could jump up there. What if I shot it out from under you, right? Now you've got that fall damage because you can do that in Alpha Strike too. It's just we never generally do because that adds time. But if you're looking for a somewhat crunchier Alpha Strike experience, especially if you're doing scenarios in a narrative-based campaign, adding in those destructible buildings that then turn into rubble and this, that, and the other, I would highly recommend uh, that for consideration for people wanting to try this stuff out. So Ben, I'll ask the question that Dave asked last, last episode. So if you're the beginner, you know, and you're coming into this and you're like, Oh, what scenario should I play? If I want to play something other than stand up fight, where would you recommend they go? And, and uh, maybe if there was one optional rule, what would you add in to give a little flair? Um, you know, I think the optional rule, I'm not going to say it's the most important. I, I think it would really depend on the system you're running. If you're running classic, um, uh, you know, Mike has said that buildings are a huge, huge time sink when it comes to tracking building damage and then falling damage and all kinds of stuff. Um, buildings are pretty pretty epic when it comes to to dealing with extra scenarios i think really the easiest way to kind of introduce a new player to more optional rules is just adding one one different type of environmental you know piece of it whether it be 
gravity, whether it be um, heat from the sun because of whatever, how close you are to it, um, whether it be a glacier or tundra or mud or swamp or something like that. I think that would be the, the easiest way to kind of ease players into the expansion that's out there for a lot of their different different optional rules. So you would if just that makes any sense. Yeah, you would just stick one of that I mean one of those environmental factors into one of like the the pre-built scenarios, whether it be for Alpha Strike or in Total Warfare, you think that would be kind of a good starting point then? I think so. I think so. What do you think? No, I I think it's good. And in addition to that, like in the scenarios, both both in Total Warfare and uh, the Alpha Strike Commander's Edition, there's variations as well. So you could, you know, if you get comfortable with one type of scenario, you can throw in the the variation as well as you know this environmental factor. So you're learning a new option with that particular scenario, but you're also learning something that can be used broadly through all of whether it be you know through all of BattleTech type games. So I like it. Yeah, absolutely. John, what about you? Any anything from the Alpha Strike side? How, how do you mean? Well, I mean, what would you, if you were teaching a new player, what would you want to, just as a simple add-on to a scenario, what would you want to, what would you want to add on? Oh, I see. Um, you know, it's going to sound dumb, but the the biggest thing that can make a difference on a scenario, if you're just, if you only have one method of changing the game is terrain and terrain effects you know like how mike mentioned blizzards earlier you know you could say oh man the board is is encountering a, a blizzard right now all our movement is reduced all of our line of sight is reduced you know that changes the scenario immediately and you're only changing one thing yeah have you guys um, ever looked at like ice how that changes movement. <laughs> it's crazy. You're making it's going everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Ice right. is pretty gross. Yeah. So the, the two easiest ways you can change a scenario is uh, terrain and terrain effects, including climate and then changing what edge a player deploys from. Those, those are very simple and easy to implement, but will have very radical effects on gameplay in my experience. Okay. Mike, anything? Um, I would suggest um, if you're if you're more of a classic player, um, if for, for the best way to test this stuff out and actually get a quick understanding of it down after playing through it would be added in on Mega Mech. Uh, added in on Mega Mech, and then you can see, you know, after the round is over, when it pulls up the the splash page or whatever it's called that shows all the roll effects, this, that, and the other. Um, and even on the map itself, when you're trying to maneuver through rubble or this, that, and the other, um, it's a lot faster on Mega Mech, which is easier for a newer player to digest because it's on the computer. Um, so I would probably recommend or suggest, uh, testing that stuff out, even just yourself, if you're doing, uh, uh, ATB campaign against good old princess. Um, that's the easiest way to learn a, a lot of the optional rules for classic is through mega mech. That's how I did it. Um, for, for alpha strike. Um, I think I've already mentioned a few of the ones that are really, I think pretty easy to implement. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, 
taken that leap, whether it be destructible buildings, uh, weather effects, um, and just the BSPs. Um, I'm excited to see the Alpha Strike box set that's coming out soon with the BSP cards included in that and see how that really starts changing local games because now we'll all have Alpha Strike BSP cards. Um, so, but yeah, those are some of the, I know you asked for one and I gave way more than that, but, <laughs> but uh, those pick, picking onesies and twosies out of those is probably the easiest place all to right. start. Um, so we talked a little bit about introducing new rules. Um, let's talk about balancing forces. Why is that important? Matt, as the <clears throat> resident, you know, professional GM, um, why is, why is balancing forces important? Pretty, pretty low threshold for professionals, there. <laughs> but, uh, uh, That's fair. yeah, I mean, I think balancing is pretty important into especially as a gm but even just one-offs um i think one-offs are mostly just going to be especially for alpha strike are going to be pv based um for total warfare the bb is is decent about balancing but um i think in some areas it's a little bit more difficult you have to go into it more um but i think just thinking about like producing your own scenarios and trying to balance things you uh <laughs> i think it's just super tough it i think you got to start with a good base like kind of the pre-built scenarios and then just modify things slightly um rather than just like going gung-ho and and uh modifying everything all at once so that's what i've tried to do in the past you take like uh, like for instance, a reconnaissance mission, uh, the reconnaissance scenario, and maybe I add a couple more, you know, things that they have to reconnoiter in the scenario. Maybe I'll add some hidden units, and that's where it ends. Like that's that's kind of the extent of it for one particular scenario. I don't want to go bonkers, um, but I, I like using the pre-builds and then modifying them to suit especially if you're doing a campaign to suit kind of the flavor of the campaign and where you want it to flow to. I think if you try and uh, especially make things very uneven to kind of be more realistic, the, the unevenness makes it so that your, your objective almost never gets fulfilled. So what you think will happen almost never <laughs> will happen. Um, so I think that's kind of the danger of, of, of having things too uneven but maybe modifying things slightly so that they're slightly uneven, but you've kind of got like surprises on both sides, advantages on both sides that, that kind of sort of even out. That's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. The more asymmetric you make a scenario, the more asymmetric you need to make the victory conditions as well. Or one player is going to feel like he's usually getting stomped on. For sure. For sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of, well, I got the floor. Um, just like anything else, when you are a GM, it is a skill. And there are going to be times when you put a scenario together and you put time into it, and it's still going to suck ass. And the people who participate in it are going to be like, I didn't have fun, you know? And that's just part of it. It's, you know, you have to have some level of persistence um, because every now and then you're, you're going to drop the ball and it's not going to be very fun. And you just have to be able to not take that personally and learn from it. Um, and and learn lessons so that you 
do better next time. Yeah. And John, I think you mentioned earlier, you know, being able to read the audience, right? So as you get to know, especially yeah. like local players more, you're like, okay, I think this person would be comfortable with kind of like branching out in this particular area. Um, you know, let's try this, you know, and it's a, it's an attempt on, on all sides. It's not just you like, yeah, maybe you suck at, at GMing or whatever developing scenarios, but you're all developing, you know, kind of your repertoire together. Mike, I think you had something. Uh, just, kind of going on with what John was talking about, uh, like making sure your players are having fun. Yeah, you can do your best to balance the forces from you as the GM versus the players. But at the same time, it's still a dice game. And if the GM's dice are constantly hot and the players are not, I think that's where the importance of that good old GM screen comes in to hide your dice. So yeah, you might, like if you recognize, yeah, my players aren't having fun anymore because they are just <laughs> sucking. Uh, their dice are sucking uh, and they can't see your dice rolls. And that's when you as a GM start being like, Oh, I missed because right. <laughs> they can't tell that you actually like hit. Yeah. But I think that's the importance of I that, have never that GM had to screen do that. as well. No, Cause not once. as a GM, I, I missed plenty. So it's, it's, it's okay. Yeah. But, but I, yeah. going on to yeah. what you're saying, I do, yeah. I do modify things. Like when I have like reinforcements coming on, the number of re reinforcements can be modified. Right. So like, I'm seeing like the PV swing really wild towards me, then I will hold back some reinforcements that could have come on. But yeah, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying, Mike. <laughs> Everyone wants to have and, fun. And I think that <laughs> that plays into our next question of how do we keep players engaged in the scenario? You know, how how do you as a GM or how do you as just another opponent keep your player engaged so it's not always just stand-up fight is what you're saying <laughs> right absolutely yeah I, I, there's so more objectives lit, out there yeah my litmus test is i i ask players okay name your pilots name your mech warriors and now your goal is you're trying to get everybody home you're trying to maintain your force and some people take that challenge uh very much so personally you're like oh man i gotta get everybody home and some people are very callous and they're like, ah, no, Bentley and Jackson died, whatever, you know, and it really is an effective litmus test. You, you very quickly divide players into, oh, man, they are invested in their their force, their story, or they're just trying to roll dice. They're trying to win. That, that's that's been my experience. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good start. I mean, any those little things that you add in to see, like you know, what are they really looking for? What are what is your opponent really looking for? Are you know? And it's totally cool if they just want to roll dice and roll for roll dice for a couple hours and smash smash each other up. But I think if if you have, I think one of the things you really need to have. I think John also mentioned this, or is you got to have some reward for going after objectives rather than just it's an objective, right? So. Uh, that is one critique I'd have for like the, the Wolfnet set of rules is, is an objective is an objective. It's not like a building. It's not a base. It's not, it's not supplies. It's just an objective. And I get it because it's a, it's kind of a tournament based thing, but that's what I really like about, um, scenarios within a mission is like, you can, you can make it more than that. You can make it, you need to get these supplies and you need to get home or you, you know, you need to find this thing and take it away so that. You know, there aren't like war crimes committed by nuclear bombs, you know, something like that, where it becomes more than just an objective. So that's one thing I really like as well. Which is kind of similar to what Dave wrote in for the uh, the narrative that we just did, the battle for Black Earth. 
um, each mission had either, what was it? Uh, mission one was a media team and mission two was civilians trying to run away, right? And they were worth SP. And if you controlled that through the end of the game, then you got that extra SP, which could then help you uh, repair more stuff after after the round. Uh, so there, it was it was an optional. It was a secondary objective, sure, but it still helped you. Um, and the more uh, sensor towers you destroyed in game one, the more you destroyed, the more SP you got. Uh, no, nope. The only additional SP was was the media yeah. team or the civilians. Uh, but um, adding adding a value like that, if you're using the war, war chest point system or SP or how, however, making it worthwhile so that it's actually an attractive objective and not just you need to do this because you have to. Um, it's you should do this because it helps you. You know what I mean? I think I think a lot of a lot of the scenarios too. If you as you're building your campaign, you know, if you link those scenarios to where damage carries over, that's that's kind of a, a really determining factor on how you're going to fight a particular scenario. You know, if you know that your damage is going to carry over to the next scenario, you're going to be a little bit more conservative with some of your stuff. You know, um, what do you guys think on, on that end? No, that, that's a really good point in that players who are inexperienced with campaign systems will often be more, um, they'll take actions that are more risky than more experienced campaign campaign players. And then once they realize that, oh man, half my force is depleted, I'm entering scenario three and I've got two medium mechs, a crippled light and a crippled uh, assault mech, it's like, I'm not, there's no way I can, can win this. And you just start realizing, you know, I'm playing the long game. For me, Yes, I have to achieve the objective, but I also have to maintain a coherent force. Um, and that uh, it's a lesson that has to be learned. I think, you know, a lot of people, their first campaign or two, they take uh, casualties that make the situation unrecoverable for them. Um, but then once you learn it, there is that always that tension of, do I stick around a couple more turns and try to get this objective? Or, oh man, he's really picking up more of a fight than I was expecting. You know, I've got a crippled crusader. Do I call it here? Yeah, and, and just to just to rip on what John is saying is, uh, you know, basically, if you only have in a campaign system, at least, in if you only have reward carryover and not the risk, then you lose half the flavor. And so uh, that's yeah. that that goes into that balancing that you were asking about earlier. That's the balance as well as like risk versus reward. Into you'll get out of this stuff. You know, you can get some rewards, but you also risk losing your ability to get rewards in the future um, with the damage that you you achieve, you know, is carried over. So, I, I, yes, I totally agree. It's a really good thing to have, especially in a campaign system. Yeah, yeah. When my my first uh, Fourier or however however you say that wonderful word <laughs> Thank you, uh, into that, <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Um, the the damage carrying over was with this Battle for Black Earth event. And it just added such such a strategic element that I thoroughly appreciated. Um, and yeah, like Ben was saying, you're suddenly a lot more conservative. You're you're definitely focusing a lot more on, uh, 
lining up those most rewardful shots while still keeping yourself as protected as possible. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that that risk carrying over from game to game uh, with damage carrying through, like that was a lot of fun. Uh, until an ammo explosion, which <laughs> threw a through armor crit, and then it's all just dead anyways. You could be as careful as you want, but man, ammo loves that to explode. Does. Welcome to classic. <laughs> but but yeah, but it it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, and anyone else trying to uh, put together a uh, campaign, try may, maybe try and find a way to, like Matt was saying, include that, yeah, your reward carries through, but also keep that risk carrying through, which is damage. Uh, it was it it was yeah. a lot of fun. I think I think a big part of especially GMing a scenario is you've really got to look at as a GM overpowering your players. You know, you I've I've played in a lot of different games where some GMs will want to win the scenario against the players and you've got to look at it from a GM standpoint of what am I trying to get out of this? I'm trying to get repeat players because if the players feel like they can't win the scenario kind of thing, um, even if it's carrying over am carrying over damage, my shit's getting blown up, you know, all that kind of stuff. GMs have to really take it turn by turn and look at it and go, all right, I should not bring in this extra force that I had planned and let them fight this shit out, you know. Um, thoughts on that? I I think that it's on the GM that if they are going to up the difficulty, if all of a sudden the, the climb becomes much deeper, they need to give some forewarning. You know, oh, we intercepted, intercepted some sort of communications, there's reinforcements inbound, Oh, our long range probes are coming up, you know, they're getting pinged to some sort of force inbound. Because for players to be involved, they have to feel like the game is fair. Um, right. Right. And if you start doing things unilaterally as a GM, like, oh man, I really want to win or I want to throw this curveball, you know, it needs to have some sort of um, hint that it's coming. It, it needs to feel fair or you're just going to end up disenfranchising your players. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, you know, we've kind of gone deeper on kind of the GM based, you know, campaign based scenarios. And I think you can have like real, even like emotional swings in it within one scenario, but you got to bring it back to where they have an enjoyable time and it's, it's still achievable. The objective is still achievable. So like, you know, this force appears out of nowhere and you're outgunned and outmatched, but then all of a sudden you get like, you know, friendly artillery bombing or, or hitting these forces, you know, something that rebalances it so that the objective is always achievable by the end of the, the scenario. So I think that's an important thing to consider. Okay. Um, John, you had a note about uh, a war game blog that you enjoy. You want to expand on that? Sure. So I'm a historical war gamer. Colorado actually has a, a really good historical war gaming scene. They're called the Colorado Military Historians. Um, and I, I, it's just a passion of mine. Naval war gaming and World War II war gaming, uh, my particular interests. 
Um, and this one blog is called the tactical painter. I believe he's out of Australia and he plays a game system called chain of command. It's world war two, uh, platoon based. So basically the player is a platoon leader. You know, he has three to four squads that he's trying to achieve victory in any given scenario. Um, and these, uh, Reports that he puts up are are really well done. High production value, um, good photos. He goes into both players' um, kind of uh, train of thought, you know, examining wind conditions and preservation of forces. And you know, while that's very interesting to me historically, it's also very much so applicable to BattleTech because you have those same tension points of I, I need to maintain my forces. So that even if I whiff on this scenario, next scenario, I have a strong enough force that I have a good chance of winning. Um, and I think he really sets a high bar for what you should look to achieve when you are running a campaign and also producing battle reports. You know, you, you want good photos. Um, you want to explain players, you know, thoughts and... Um, I, I, it's just all around a, a very, very high production value thing that, that I enjoy reading. And I would love to see Battletech take on, you know, someone kind of pick up that banner and, and march forward on the Battletech front. Um, and I, with Matt's talk about running scenarios out of Hobbytown, um, maybe he and I can, can do that. You know, as a hope of mine, personally, I, I'd really love to get some nice battle reports. You know, everyone loves reading them and seeing the pictures and, you know, the, the it, it is telling a story. And just like, you know, watching a movie or reading a book, you start getting invested in these characters. And you're like, oh, man, are they going to be able to pull it off or not? You know, and uh, that I would love I would love to see that battle deck. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. I'm. I think you uh, you hit the nail on the head with a lot of stuff. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways to, you know, develop scenarios for BattleTech, for Total Warfare, for Alpha Strike, whatever you want to call it. I I don't give a shit at this point. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and you've really got to expand your horizons on as a person that develops scenarios like what do you want to get your players to do kind of thing you know what what do you want to make them enjoy kind of thing you know and i think you've you've got to expand those horizons outside of sometimes the battletech universe and and look at different stuff like your historical wargaming thing so i think that's a fantastic option to look at um yeah yeah and i just want to be clear today <laughs> obviously it's a, a consensual contract that the GM wants that and the player also wants that because if one doesn't, then you're, you're just not going to get there, you know? Yeah. And that's, you know, I think we've all experienced that at some point with a GM that we don't know um, where you might end up with a GM that wants to win all the time. And that really doesn't bode well for a group. And you've really got to look at what's best for the group, you know? Um, how yeah. if you want to keep your group engaged and playing on a regular basis and something you enjoy, you've got to 
kind of as a GM look at I'm I may need to lower what I want to do and base it off of their expectations kind of thing, you know. Um kind of manage expectations. No, absolutely. There's a tension between the story you want to tell as a GM and the story that your players want to be told as players. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um anybody else got anything on that? Nothing heard. All right. Um moving on. Uh we've we've covered the 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 main course of the episode. All right. And John, you're getting ready to be up here, buddy. All right. The next oh, it's thing. Oh, it's time? It's lower time, Everybody, brother. It's lower time. It's lower time. <laughs> All right. So just imagine this. The year is 3151. Uh, your hyper pulse generator doesn't work and you don't know how to read. But all of a sudden you just get into a, a crayon drawn picture that shows that the wolves have conquered Earth. And you're wondering, but what about the other clan, Clan Jade Falcon? The greatest Spoiler clan alert! <laughs> yeah, right. So today we're going to be talking about uh, the Jade Falcons and where they're at as of the Ilk Clan era. And uh, again, spoiler alert, they lose. Melvina Hazen is dead. And there's only 200 Jade Falcons left on Earth. And Alec Ward says, guess what? You're going to be my new Black Watch. I hope you like it. Um, what's that mean for the Jade Falcon occupation zone? Well, um, it ends up... I hope you got Tomorrow Rising open. That's right. I hope you have Tomorrow Rising open. Um, it ends up that the Jade Falcons that remain in the Occupation Zone split into three separate entities. You have the Alina Mercantile League. The They call themselves the Jade Falcons. And then a abortive state that is absorbed by the hell horses almost immediately um they don't have a very long life sadly so the two key players are the and what well what is also this uh this malthus confederation because isn't malthus a jade falcon name blood name it is but in the inner sphere it's associated with a criminal element we don't really like to talk about it you know it's kind of a stain on the name of course Fair enough. Yeah, and Leave frankly, I'm offended. Comments. You would even bring it up. You know, it's kind of <laughs> outrageous. But uh, uh, it's on the oh map. Oh my god, <laughs> fucking Jade Falcons, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the Jade Falcons are the Yankees of bad guys. I like to say, you know. Oh, you just hate to see them win. Really. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> You end up with two states. You end up with the Alina Mercantile League and the Jade Falcons based out of uh, Sudentan. Uh, Sudentan? Sudentan? Uh, I don't know. Under G.E. Christie. Chistu. G.E. Chistu. Oh, my gosh. Um, the, the two have a brief communication. Um, Alina Mercantile League being headed by the Merchant Factor. And G. Christie, obviously being the warrior cast, uh, very short talks, you know, it's to the extent of, oh, you're not run by the, the warrior cast, then you're wrong. And that, that's about it. Um, it is interesting, though, the Alina's Mercantile League have access to some very kind of unique mix of units. They hire a lot of mercs, which is you know, usually considered 
Dazgra by the the Clanners, and then you have the more traditional side led by Chistu. Um, but because of circumstances out of their control, both are forced to kind of adapt to um, the difficulties of the time. You know, they don't have a very reliable source of recruits or uh, machinery. Um, so they kind of, they, they, they're really scratching us together to get by. And you end up with some very, you know, tenacious kind of, you know, they're still clans, but for clans, unorthodox organizations. Um, and it's a lot of fun, you know. If you can get invested in some minor players that you're okay with that, you know, maybe in 20 years they get absorbed by some great power or some house, you know, I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I just I just finished reading uh, literally last night, today, uh, Tomorrow Rising. And, yeah, it's uh, the entire occupation zone just turns into a whole bunch of uh, small nations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with with uh, four to what eight planets each, um, and it, it, it makes sense. There's literally no one left there to defend it. Uh, a lot of the Salama warriors didn't even want to defend it. Some of them even turned it into their own, uh, you know, like little uh, black market uh, crime world where they were running everything. Um, but yeah. Uh, the entire occupation zone has been carved out by a whole bunch of uh, uh, aspiring individuals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, but yeah, definitely recommend giving Tamar Rising if you haven't already a read. I know I'm way behind, having just read it, and it's been out for a hot minute. But uh, it's it's a really good read. Yeah, and I, I think you know you you really have to look at if you want to see the current. And I didn't listen to anything John said because he's a Jane Falcon and I don't give a shit what he says anymore. That's um, right. That's right. <laughs> but um, if you haven't looked at a question of survival yet, did you talk about that at all, John? I didn't. Is a question of survival about the, um, the Wolf Street Games? No, it is not. It is about. Uh, that was Redemption Rise. That was rights. Redemption Rise, brother. Question of Survival is talking about ghost bears and jade falcons and what jade falcons do in response to Terra. So if you haven't checked that okay. out yet, I would highly encourage you to check that out. I'm about three quarters of the way through reading that damn thing. Um, I say damn thing because we all know my proclivities are not with the jade falcons. So um, That's right. This isn't even in your quadrant of space. It's three worlds league, Lyrans, you know. Yeah. What what are these? I don't give a shit about any of that stuff. So um (laughs) you know, Question Survival talks about GU Chistu and what he does in response to um the loss of contact with Malvin Hazen. So um definitely check that out and see what happens. It is on the Christmas list, so shush. (laughs) Get on it. Get on it. Yeah. And celebrate too, you know, you still get to be a bad guy as a Jay Falcon, but you, you get to stop being psychopathically bad underneath Malvina Hazen, you know. That's true. You know, it, and I, I am pulling for I am now that I mean the whole Hour of the Wolf thing and Tim Rising and everything has we've established that Malvina Hazen is not an entity anymore. 
So right. I do, as a possible closet Jade Falcon, <laughs> I am pulling for the rebirth of the Jade Falcons in the new Ill Clan era, you know? Um, yeah. Well, if the wolves were able to be absorbed by the Falcons and then create their own clan again, the Jade Falcons deserve it too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I think yeah. the Jade Falcons should be able to pull it off. Um, I haven't gotten to the end of a question of survival yet. That's more of lackadaisical on my part. But, um, you know, I think, you know, if there was a faction out there that I was interested in that seeing their change in the interfere or change as, as a philosophy, you know, it would be the Jade Falcons kind of thing. So, um, has nothing to do with me and you's conflict, John. Yeah, well, we you know got to talk about that at some point, don't we? We do, we do. We'll, we'll talk about it here at the end when we talk about the news from the neighborhood. So uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, all right. So that was kind of our lore segment, I think. Anybody else got any comments on that? I'm just interested in seeing and in, in reading that book and finding out more about it because even as they say in Tamar Rising, uh, if something were to happen to uh, the self-proclaimed Khan G. Chitsu, um, that the that segment Splinter Jade Falcon uh, tiny tiny little empire of four worlds would probably collapse. So I'm interested in seeing uh, how that molds and how they deal with how surrounded they are and how small they are so um i'm looking forward to seeing what happens in that regard all right all right matt you got anything no i'm i'm pretty far behind as far as lore goes so i've got like i've got uh i was just looking at my shelf i've got the ill clan and tomorrow rising still to yet be read and i haven't even gotten into the any of the ill clan uh actual fiction so i am ways behind but i'm really excited to get more into it um i've, I've recently so every episode every, alert from that. i mean uh, sorry it's like <laughs> anytime i get on anything related to battletech it's all spoiler but um as much government travel you do you can't just open a book come on man i know i go i go like comatose <laughs> in airplanes so it's kind of hard but uh Ooh. i i really even even when the surprise is spoiled i still like to read all the all the nitty-gritty details and how things happen so i'm really excited like for the just to see how things keep changing and keep adding to the lore so excitement all around all right you know this might be a i i, I may have made a mistake here but but matt i never got to read you have painted inner sphere and painted plan forces but what are your favorite factions? Where 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 do you lie? Where do your loyalties lie? My favorite, uh, well, I I I'm okay with either side. They they each have their their pros and cons. You're you're pan factional. I am pan factional as well. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yes but yes but first first in premier love is is the old fedcom so i'm mm-hmm. i'm writing uh bourbon's corner there um but i guess on the uh, i guess i kind of swing on the uh clan side just a wolf as well so i'm kind of like the the vanilla guy that just walks in and is like oh these are the guys that are talked most about okay i'll play with them so just so disappointing i know so disappointing i know it's true <laughs> well I you know and I want to I want to bring up a 
I don't know if this is a new segment or not, but uh, somebody had asked, what is your favorite faction and why is it Fed Sons? <laughs> that was that was Derek. <laughs> Absolutely it was. You know He he doesn't account after he insulted Miller Light. I just want to put that out there, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean to be honest, it is just water with bread in it. Let's let's be fair. Uh, no no no. It is enhanced water, okay? Enhanced. All right, all right. So, I mean, Mike, what is your preferred faction? Uh, for Intersphere, um, well, as you've seen the photos, all of my IS units are painted up in Kellhounds. One, for simplicity's sake. I don't have to worry about more than one scheme. <laughs> Just paint them all if red and black, If you had to baby. take a faction, uh, an actual faction, what would you take? Oh, oh well, um, funny you should ask. Uh so the Kellhounds are somewhat kind of like an actual faction now based off oh, Tamar Rising, on. right? Like they only have one planet. Their leader flies a tank. Okay. It doesn't count. You can't count uh, the thirty fifty eight Arc Royal, you know, <laughs> defense cordon as anything but bullshit. Uh, <laughs> um uh, if we were going for, I guess, one of the five major houses, I would go Steiner. And then... Yeah, it's good. Play in, I, yeah, that's I good. approve uh, that. I approve that. Deutsch. Prost. Let's see. Yeah, and then uh, clan-wise, uh, my custom clan is a splinter from the ghost bears to make it a little bit more nordic more more norse but um if we were going for named clans it'd be ghost bear i'm surprised you weren't more rasselhaig dominion or or even free rasselhaig republic well i was going off uh like they they come i mean yeah they also get Super annihilated, really, super fast. Uh, sure. Shortly after that, poor country was. But I was, I was talking about like the the five initial. Um, Free Ross is know. just an issue to Steiner I, too. I, right? I don't know, Mike. All I hear yeah. is that you bitched out of being a spice baking, space biking. Goddamn. <laughs> spice <laughs> baking, <laughs> so like a spice girl, but a vegan. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, but they're, they're neighbors, right? Mm-hmm. They can be friends. We can yeah. they can play as both Hello, sides. Hello, I'm Spice Viking. <laughs> <laughs> we we obviously have, have established what John's preferred gender, I mean, faction is. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to see a picture of me. You just need to to picture, you know, Arrested Development. The character is trying to sound like a chicken. Oh, man, I love it. That, um, that's Kuka Two. That's Jade Falcon. Kuka yeah. Two. Yeah. 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 Two. Intersphere. Any <laughs> what, intersphere? If, yeah. If you had to pick an intersphere, John, what would it be? The uh, Deutschland. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to go Steiner. Uh, the Lia Alliance. Yeah. Oh, we're all going to hell for our accents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Duolingo says I do just fine. I'll have you know, <laughs> Matt. I, you know, you've 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 thrown around a little bit of the uh, the Merrick vibe. What's going on there? 
Yeah, I, for for LVL, I decided that I just because this will be like my first major non-Colorado uh, Wolfnet AS350. I just wanted to see if just a random faction from a random era could hang with with the other kind of almost cherry picked faction era lists. So. I picked one that I didn't really know much about, but that is kind of like hangs on in the background. So that's why I picked Free Worlds League and they're purple so I can make some purple people eaters. And then uh, Civil War is like kind of where most of my lore knowledge kind of ends. So I thought, oh, that's that's that, we'll, we'll see what it's like. So that's why I picked Free Worlds League. No other reason than kind of I don't know much about it. So it kind of forces me to 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 see what units they have and try and do my best with it. So is that your preferred faction or is it not at all you lean some other way yeah i mean the the first force that i that i painted up and i play the most is is my uh my fedcom list uh in clan invasion so that's what i play with the most probably um and that that's where i lean and in, in kind of favoring them but i'm interested to learn a lot more about the other different factions and you know Edcom is kind of like gets the most attention, especially in the early lore. So, um, well, them, them, and and uh, Draconis Combine and kind of the conflict there. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I lean towards Free World League, but I'm excited to see how they hold up against uh, what I foresee as being some much stronger lists. <laughs> all right, all right. Oh shit! I have to actually say what my faction is, don't I? Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, nerd. nerd. <laughs> well, I mean, as probably a lot of people know, I'm I'm a diehard Fed Sons guy, you know. So, you know, I'm not quite sure what John's saying right now, but I'm sure it yeah. has something to do with Fed Sons. Um, but you know, I've always been a Fed Sons guy from the very beginning. You know when before the fucking clans were even a thing, you know? So I don't know if that tells you how old I am, but oh, and, and ben, um, just, just to clear up, I'm sorry. I said FedCom, but I meant fed sons. That was, that was a, is a mistake. Yes. Mind, but yes. Fed sons yes. over FedCom, not fed. He does have his stuff painted up in the, that's right. the heavy he, cards, he, isn't he, it? He's, he's had a few fed sons. That's yeah, all green and yellow. Fed so sons. yeah, it's only fed mm-hmm. sons. Sorry about that. Yes, yes. I knew you and I had a connection at some point, Matt. Our dice and our um, love for Fed Sons. You know, that's that's Fed Sons is my inner sphere faction, obviously from my avatar on Discord and you know, the tattoo on my arm and everything else. But um on the clan side, you know, if I had to choose a clan faction, um lore wise, it would probably Fuck you, John. It would probably be the Jade Falcons, just because. Oh, it, yeah. oh, oh no! No, what? <laughs> but I lean towards Goliath Scorpions with how they've kind of progressed through the lore era and stuff like that. So um, I'm so more do of you a also root for the Raiders. You're just a fan of the of the, of the obscure. You know, I am. I'm. I'm. I'm always. I've always been an an under an underdog rooter kind of thing. Like, yeah. you know, rooting for the fucking underdog. Like making him. You know, you know the biggest probably under underdog element I ever epiphany I ever had was when you know 
Grayson Carlisle going on to uh, Verthandi with his uh, very basic um, mercenary unit. So, so it's one of those. I've always been an underdog kind of rooter, and and Goliath Scorpions seem to be the underdog in the Oakland era. So I'm I'm trying to see where they go with things. Don't they become so, the Goliath Lions or something like that? Well, they had a split during the Reaving. Um, you had the Stone Lions that were a Goliath Scorpion cluster or galaxy. I don't, I don't know. Um, they got left behind in the home worlds, and they kind of got absorbed and then unabsorbed or something yeah. from from some of the weird yeah. shit that happened in the home worlds. Um, but yeah, then the you whole, had the, the whole. War breathing is kind of like a baby throwing a tantrum. It's like, look at me, I'm relevant. It's, like, it's so weird. Like, so many clans got absorbed in the home worlds that nobody even knows yeah. about anymore. Um, right. You know, and, and that's, I know that's something that, that CGL hasn't really expanded upon yet. Um, maybe we'll see something. I don't know. Um, you know, but from what the, the Wars of Reaving sourcebook says, that pretty much the star adders came out on top and you have the star adders and the stone lions and some weird amalgamation of different bullshit that's going on there. But the Scorpio Imperio and then the clan Scorp Goliath Scorpion and then whatever they are in the old clan area, it's going to be an interesting piece. But so that's, that's kind of where my proclivities lie is it's fed sons and kind of Goliath Scorpions. Okay, but going back to your uh, your Jade Falcon comment there, who's your favorite Jade Falcon? Oh man, I all the love. You know, if, if I had to choose a Jade Falcon that was my favorite, it would probably be Joanna. That's pretty good. Joanna okay. she got chips on her shoulder. She has, she is an <laughs> underdog, angry bitch that will not. Uh, she doesn't fuck around, you know. She says what yeah, she says. That, that's what I was about to say. For the fear of uh, misogyny, I was going to be like, "That's one angry bitch right there." You that's know, a... I I don't blame her. You know, she's 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 something that uh, if if you know if I had to epitomize my personal relationships, that's somebody I'd be I'd be interested in. <laughs> so so you're her Aiden Pride, and she just absolutely hates absolutely. You. That's that's that's. That's yeah. really how my 30-year relationship with my wife is right now. So it works out great. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm hungry, so it works out. Angry at me when you bust, you know? <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. All right, so now it's time for Brew It, Baby, with Bourbon and the Drink of the Month. Bourbon, my hero. Hey all, this is Ben here, your Battletech Master of Spirits. Get your mixers, liquors, shakers, stirs, and strainers ready as we cover this month's Battletech Drink of the Month. Alright, so this month is the AC20. Chandler, Reller, where are you at right now? This is the AC20, alright? One ounce of bourbon, one half ounce of scotch, half ounce of vodka, one teaspoon of brown sugar, mix it all together in a whiskey glass, and then take it to the head. To the that face. is the AC20. 
Right. My only critique is the brown sugar, you know. Just just take that liquor to the face, you know what I mean? You know, it, it's I, I mixed one up right before the show and uh I gotta say, um that is a rough, rough, <laughs> rough animal right there. Um it's 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 the honey badger of uh of drinks right there. How's this one ranking with the uh the PPC varieties that you've been rolling lately? You know, I I was it was easier to take a PPC to the head. It was a lot more difficult to take the AZ twenty. <laughs> it, it much like it would it, be difficult it, to take an AZ twenty to the face and uh, I don't know it, classic absolutely. or in any point of the this game. Is, this is a this is a crit roll crit roll number twelve on the Alpha Strike table. It's it's pretty rough. Um, uh. The the really I've I found that the only way to make some of these better. All right, so if you take the AC20 with its one ounce of bourbon, half an ounce of scotch, half an ounce of vodka, and, and a tablespoon of brown sugar, if you take away the scotch, the vodka, and the brown sugar, it's tolerable. <laughs> so if it's just... So bourbon like the pure juice. <laughs> That's right. You need the pure brown, brothers. The pure oh, brown. gosh. I just want everyone to know it's twenty one forty on a Sunday, okay? It's only nine forty PM for you civilians. Not even oh, that late. I, Poor I mean, old Ben and I are are faded. Soused. I mean I I yeah. started at five PM just testing. So uh, Who records uh, a podcast no sober shit. other than Matt? Other than I, mean, I already wave. To be fair, I already switched over to Dirty Met Coolant like three hours ago. So you guys are in in for whatever it is. When you posted the uh, the drink of the months mm. for the pr- past episodes <laughs> of the Discord, right I did. Damn right. So, so that is the drink of the month. Has anybody tried it? I have not, and I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> as, as you should be. Oh. It's an AC20, man. Everyone's scared it's of those. Chandler, Chandler Reller, my brother, the AC20 aficionado. Aficionado. All right. Um, the AC20 is not for the faint of heart. He has to drink one now. Oh, he definitely and, uh, should. He definitely should. He has to drink one now, and he's got to uh, provide comment. <laughs> I'm gonna call him out in the in the speakeasy. Hey Ben, if you drink, I'll, I'll drink a shot of uh, rum with you, okay, buddy? You're not alone. Hey man, I figure that's what our batch all is gonna be. Which we'll talk about that next. That's right. That's right. We have to look mm-hmm. forward to that. We do. We do. So. And that's the drink of the month. (laughs) (laughs) All right. News from the neighborhood. News from the neighborhood. So, um, so what I've got on the notes, Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. in Fort Collins in Matt's Battletech basement. Don't play. Come on out and play. They're prepping a scenario. Did you uh, or campaign? Right now you, we're, start, we're holding off on the next campaign till the new year. Um, so we're just playing one-offs at the moment, and it's kind of been it's going to be a little bit more sporadic around the holidays. But we'll still try and keep it most Wednesdays. It'll probably be three out of the next four Wednesdays still. So if you're in town, if you're here, come play with us. All right. So that's Wednesday nights. Um, I think. Randy, out in Longmont, they still run Wednesday nights in Longmont at 
Wizards no, something. At, uh, oh, what is it? It ends. It's got a gold in it. <laughs> I can't remember what it is. Gold. Oh, man. Hearts of, Heart of Gold. Heart of Gold, I think. Heart of Gold. Yep. Heart of Gold. Yeah, Wednesday night. On Wednesday nights in Longmont. If you want to go to Longmont, I think uh, Randy starts out there about 6 p.m. So definitely check out Randy and Longmont. Um, what else we got? Friday night. Friday night fights in Hobbytown, Westminster. Starting around 5.30 or 6, we have Alpha, Alpha Strike and Classic. Um, usually myself or John or both of us or none of us <laughs> is always there. Yeah, I get down there every other, usually every other week. So we usually have some some sort of crew down there on, on uh, most Friday nights. Uh, let's see, what else we got here? Board Fox Games in Grand Junction on Wednesday nights. Nobody's got nothing on that. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> Petri's Games every third Saturday at 2 p.m. in Colorado Springs. Mike, that's your area. Yeah, uh, I don't think any of us have been successful in actually linking up with that crew, but there is a crew that plays every third Saturday uh, at, at Petri's. And then I'll take the next one for you, Ben. Uh, Gamers Haven, just in, in Colorado Springs, on the north side of Colorado Springs, just extended their Saturday hours uh, to, I, I want to say, 10 o'clock. So every Saturday at Gamers Haven is uh, their Battletech night from 6 p.m. to close. And that started officially uh, last week, which was on the 19th of november so that's their new battletech night the owner rob is a big battletech fan and we're very thankful to have a dedicated battletech night here in the springs so thanks rob fantastic and if any listeners out there have a game night that they run in an area we haven't mentioned please post it and let us know so that we can broadcast this Broadcasting stuff out there to everyone so that uh, everybody can know about it. Yeah, you can hit us up either on our email, which is in the show notes on whatever your podcast service is, or uh, you can yeah hit us up on email or our Discord, which that link is also in the show notes of whatever your podcast service is. And upcoming action. All right, so... There's a lot of shit to cover here. So, Wolfnet Alpha Strike 350 Tournament on December 10th in Game ha- Gamers Haven in Colorado Springs. This is an Alpha Strike tournament that is casual, all right? It's $5 entry fee. I believe Jack the Dominator is running it. Um, hit him up on the Colorado Discord. <clears throat> in addition to the tournament on the December 10th, there is a batch all that's going down. So let's talk about that for a second, John. Is it bat chaw or <laughs> a chaw? I'm saying it's a bat chaw <laughs> as a dirty interferer. Surat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Desperate. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Salama, maybe? Hey, 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 hey. Let's not uh, get hasty no. now. The age. <laughs> Come not, on. That, that hurts. That hurts. That's, that, that's for you, John. So uh, with the Wolfnet Alpstrike 350 tournament that's going on on the 10th, um, you will also possibly, probably, if you're in attendance, see myself and John 
playing out a batchel that John threw out to me as a trial of possession. John, let's talk about that. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's really a question of, Ben, what all you can provide to Clown Jade Falcon. Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Too bad. Too bad. (laughs) So John and I are going to be fighting out our own personal trial of possession between John requesting a trial of possession for me as he wants to possess a Fed Center as a Jade Falcon. So uh, we will be fighting out a 200 point, 200 PV battle value or 200 PV alpha strike fight, right? Are you guys just going to make it part right. of the part of the uh, competition down there, like first first game of the day or something? No, no, it's definitely going to be a final round type of event Ooh, where we're both feeling beleaguered, we're both a little bit beat up, and we're going to dice off for what scenario is, and then just. No, 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 no. We're not dicing off the scenario. We already established the scenario as part of the trial. You declared declared what you wanted. You want me to be a Jade Falcon for a year. Correct. And so I, as the Batchall receiver, got to choose the battlefield, which is going to be stand-up fight in Alpha Strike. Um, yep. Based off the 350 Wolfnet rules, uh, we're going to build yep. our forces and uh, fight it out. And the winner, well, let's say this, the loser of the match <laughs> will have to be, if I am the loser, I will build and paint and act as a Jade Falcon for an entire year. Yep. Or if John is the loser... He has to build and paint a list and compete as a Fed Sons player. It's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. Oh, it will. Oh, it definitely will. Oh, I know it will. We might have to record this and make it the first video in uh, the Valhalla Club YouTube channel. We might have to do that. So um, if you are looking for some entertainment, even if you don't want to participate or watch the 350 tournament i would suggest you take a look at you know mike may come up with some magic where he can record some shit and record our game to determine who is going to be a jade falcon or a feds hunter for an entire freaking year (laughs) um i can't wait the other options were the other options were john was going to dress up as a jade falcon in ceremonial (laughs) garb with feathers and fishnets and shit like that, you know, um, whatever they do. Um, so I, I didn't think that was fair to him. So I just didn't want him to have to show up in fishnets for an entire year because that would kind of put a hurt on my fed son's heart. I mean, brother, I've already (laughs) been in the Navy, you know, potato, potato. (laughs) That's, you know, I was about to say it, but you beat me to it. <laughs> he, as a, as a Navy man, he's definitely worn some fi- some fishnets every every now and then. <laughs> oh man! So that is the Wolfnet Alpha Strike 350 tournament, December 10th at Gabriel's Havens in Colorado Springs. Um, there's a five dollar entry fee. Um, contact Jack to get in on that. And anyone coming from the north, the Northman can haul a couple people with me. So uh, yeah. 
Just let me know. Yep. And and Bourbon's driving down from wherever he's going to be living uh, by then. So if you can you can hitch up with them. Um, so that is December tenth. We also have the big one, the Las Vegas Open. Come join some of the hosts. January 26th through the 29th in Las Vegas. This is an Alpha Strike Classic Tournament. Uh, Alpha Strike on Friday, Classic on Saturday and Sunday. I know myself, Matt, and Dave are going to be down there. Yep. And that's the big Las Vegas, Nevada, not Yeah, not, not Las Vegas, New Mexico. You don't want to go there. Um, Las Vegas, Nevada <laughs> is where you want to go um, if you're going to go to that. Uh, what else we got here going on? Um, Genghis Khan in Denver on February 26th. Saturday is going to be a Wolfnet Alpha Strike 350 tournament. There's 24 slots. Make sure you get your slot early. Check the Colorado Discord page for entry status on that. Uh, also at Genghis Khan on Sunday, there's going to be a uh, classic Battletech Battle Royale. Uh, Let's see. Sunday, four-player campaign raid on Butte Hold. That's not Genghis Khan. Uh, I think that I think Butthold. I think that is Genghis Khan uh, as well. I believe Greg from the Colorado Discord is running that. Um, we we okay. were testing that out um, out here at Westminster a few times. So. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Greg is hosting the classic stuff. Uh, Dave is putting on the Alpha Strike stuff. But that's at Genghis Khan. They recently had a, uh, a video they pushed out on Facebook where they were listing out like kind of like a, uh, a, a a hype video in prep for the upcoming uh, con. And uh, of everything mentioned, uh Battletech was mentioned the most. So even the people that put on uh, the Genghis Khan are very excited about the Battletech officially coming to and happening at Genghis Khan. I think it'll be good because I know one of the the classic event I mentioned earlier that I was part of down Westminster was hosted by Greg, and we were testing out some of the Radon Butte hold Butte. I'll say Butte again because John doesn't understand how. It's definitely Butte. It's definitely Butte. I know John likes to have his butts. (laughs) Of course it is, Navy guy. Um, So we were testing out some of those scenarios, and I think John or Greg got some good feedback on what he uh, is planning for the uh, scenario at Genghis Khan. So I think it'll be a good game for those classic players that want to get in on it. And it looks like uh, admission to the individual events, which is either the classic event by Greg or the Wolfnet 350 event uh, hosted by Dave. Those events are free. You just need to buy your event ticket, badge, what whatever they want to call it. Uh, $66 for the entire weekend and 40 or 45 for a single day badge. And those can be uh, picked up at... Uh, gamergirlgame.com to get a badge, or is it gamergirlgames? Gamergirl.game.com. Oh, okay. I think, maybe. I don't know. Let me check. Somebody look that shit up because I ain't doing it. It is absolutely gamergirlgames.com. Uh, 
with an S at the end.com. You show notes lie. <laughs> that means Dave typed Son it wrong. Son of a biscuit. Well, he's not here. We can, we can badmouth him all we want. <laughs> Damn you, Dave. Dave, you suck. <laughs> all right. So that is the upcoming events for the next couple of months. Like I said, we got December 10th. We got the. Oh, there's also. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. The Rocky Mountain Open. Oh, shit. The Rocky Mountain Oyster Club. What What's going on with that? Let me pull that up. We actually have like details on it now because before it was just something is happening. Mike is making internet magic right now. I'm trying, man. Uh, so the Rocky Mountain Open is going to be held in Denver uh, March 11th and 12th. Venue, as far as I know, is still to be determined as well as the events to behold. But the same people, Frontline Gaming, that is putting on the Las Vegas Open is also putting on the Rocky Mountain Open here in Colorado, uh, March 11th and 12th. So that is March. That is all we know at the moment. It's its name and its date range. No, And that, that's it. We don't know the venue. We don't know what's going to be there. But once we know, you'll know. So that's coming up. And I think that covers our upcoming events for the next couple of months. We'll be hitting those harder as we progress into the new year. All right. I think that brings us to the close of the episode. And we start with the shout outs. Mike, what do you got for shout outs this month? I'm just going to shout out um, uh, Braden, Dusty, and Charles, because uh, those are the three individuals I played at the Battle for Black Earth. Um, again, Dusty, uh, sorry for making that not fun in the first five minutes of the game. I have ten minutes. <laughs> it was not my intent. Uh, but I had a lot of fun playing with all three of those individuals, Charles, you sly dog uh, as the individual that got to know what buildings blow up. Well, you shot it and, and blew my, my poor bushwhacker up, but it it was a lot of fun. Um, Great games all around and definitely look forward to more games with all of y'all. So that's, that's my shout outs. And Matt shout outs. Sure. So first shout out, I'm going to duplicate Mike a little bit uh, dusty, man. You uh, you wiped me out in the third game, and I was uh, sorry. I was a bit of a sourpuss, but uh, you you completely destroyed me. I did not enjoy it, but uh, you're a great player, man. Love playing against you. Uh, also, for uh, uh, shout out to Damien because he came up and he uh, he was like the first guy that I had talked to that actually listens to us on a good basis. So he was all excited about the uh, the the podcast, and I was excited to talk to uh, I guess a fan. So Damien, you're always you're always a great guy to talk to. Uh, yeah, if you're listening to this, shout out to you, man. Uh, last shout out is to uh, Aries because they uh, they're awesome. Aries Games and Minis. They help support the events that we do out here and, and really help support this latest event that uh, the liberation of Black Earth with uh, with some prize support and uh, lots of other things, dice and all sorts of stuff. So shout out to Aries for always being good to us. Uh, yeah. It just occurred to me that uh, it's kind of ironic. Damien was in charge of the Intersphere Commander at the event. 
had the commander die under his charge and then won the mech <laughs> at the end of the event. So, so like it, it's, it's kind of ironic, but uh, yeah, da- Damien's a great player um, and I'll always enjoy interacting with him. And Alex did an amazing job uh, painting that. And I'm sorry to, tag in at the end of, of your shout outs here, but shout outs to uh, additional for me, uh, Alex and Jack for painting the, uh, the commanders for the event. Uh, they both looked amazing and uh, I, I, I'll, I'll let you have uh, it back. I'll, I'll just say ditto to that. Cause they did do a great job and, and uh, a great job for those. It's, it's great to have such great players in our community here in Colorado. So those are my shout outs and I'll, I'll uh, turn it over to John. John, what you got for shout outs? J- John's muted. John, did he did, did he, he go to that? the bathroom? John, John! <laughs> caveman, bunga, 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 bunga. I see how this challenge is going to go down. Yeah, he's going to be gonna absent for most he's of it. Be like a ghost. He just uh-huh. oh, he's back. John, John. John shout outs. I'm here, boys. I uh, quote the Ricky Bobby. I'm too drunk to taste that chicken. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. And then the shout outs, brother. Shout outs. Uh, I pass. I, I don't, I don't oh, you were going to make a great Jade Falcon opponent. <laughs> Might be a bondsman. You are definitely going to be a great bondsman for the Federated Sons. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Shout outs. Um, I'm going to shout out uh, Aries Games and Miniatures again. Um, they did a great job of uh, providing prize support for the uh, Battle of Black Earth event down in Colorado Springs. Um, Castle Rock. Whatever, man. It's all the same shit. It's meat, cheese, and vegetables. It's like, you know, Mexican food. Um, it's all the same. Castle Rock, Colorado, Aries Games of Minis, the Battle for Black Earth, Aries Games of Minis, you did a great job. Um, additionally, uh, just the other contributors to the universe, you know, the on the origins of Battle Mechs, the, the mechs that... Uh, a lot of the guys over on YouTube are, are developing the Armor Up guys that are, are running all of the Armor Up podcasts, Wolfnet, uh, Black Pants Legion, um, Death Ray Designs, all those contributors to the universe. You guys are doing a great job. Keep up your good work, and uh, we all appreciate it. So, Roger that. Roger that. All right, so my shout-out tonight goes out to everybody that joined us for Battle of Black Earth. Uh, and a big shout out to Jack and Alex for painting the prizes. They turned out amazing. And I know that the the folks that took them home are going to really appreciate them. And I can't wait to see them on the table again. As well as to, uh, to Derek and to Jeremy at Inconceivable Games. You guys made this happen. And I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate everybody coming out and, you know, giving their time to an event and I hope everybody had a great time. And with that, that completes this episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, 
We look forward to you guys listening to us next month. Talk about a lot of nonsense. We won't be sober for that either. We weren't <laughs> sober for this one. What's what's the difference? Good night, all. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Thanks for joining us today in the Valhalla Club. Special thanks to our sponsor, Aries Games and Miniatures. Aries is the premier online retailer for all your Battletech needs. You can contact us at the Valhalla Club at Outlook.com. If you are in Colorado, please join your local community group on Facebook and Discord. If you are able to help support your local Colorado Battletech community, subscribe on Patreon to Colorado Battletech. This Patreon account is used to supply prize support for local events and assist in venue costs. Links for the Valhalla Club Discord, the Colorado Battletech Patreon, and Facebook group are in the show notes. Until next time, mech fans. Mm-hmm.